Chapter 30 of Sixty Years in Southern California, 1853 to 1913 by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter 30 The Wool Craze, 1872 to 1873. As already stated, the price of wool in 1871 was exceedingly high and continued advancing until in 1872, when, as a result, great prosperity in Southern California was predicted. Enough wool had been bought by us to make what at that time was considered a very handsome fortune. We commenced purchasing on the sheep's back in November, and continued buying everything that was offered until April 1872, when we made the first shipment, the product being sold at 45 cents per pound. As far as I am aware, the price of wool had never reached 50 cents anywhere in the world, it being ordinarily worth from 10 to 12 cents, and without going into technicalities, which would be of no interest to the average reader, I will merely say that 45 cents was a tremendously high figure for dirty, burry, California wool in the grease. When the information arrived that this sale had been effected, I became wool crazy, the more so since I knew that the particular shipment referred to was of very poor quality. Colonel R. S. Baker, who was living on his ranch in Kern County, came to Los Angeles about that time, and we offered him fifty cents a pound for Beale and Baker's clip, amounting to one hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds. His reply was that it would be impossible to sell without consulting Beale, but Beale proved as wool-crazy as I and would not sell. It developed that Beale and Baker did not succeed in effecting a sale in San Francisco, where they soon offered their product, and that they concluded to ship it to Boston. The New England metropolis then, as now, being the most important wool center in the United States. Upon its arrival the wool was stored, and there it remained, until, as fate would have it, the entire shipment was later destroyed in the great Boston fire of 1872. As a result of this tremendous conflagration, the insurance company which carried their policy failed, and Beale and Baker met with a great loss. The brothers Philippe, Eugene, and Camille Garnier of the Encino Ranch, who, while generally operating separately, clubbed together at that time in disposing of their product, had a clip of wool somewhat exceeding 150,000 pounds. The spokesman for the three was Eugene, and on the same day that I made Colonel Baker the offer of 50 cents, I told Eugene that I would allow him 48.5 cents for the Garnier product. This offer he disdainfully refused, returning immediately to his ranch. And now, as I look back upon the matter, I do not believe that in my entire commercial experience I ever witnessed anything demonstrating so thoroughly, as did these wool transactions, the monstrous greed of man. The sequel, however, points the moral. My offer to the Garnier brothers was made on a Friday. During that day and the next, we received several telegrams indicating that the crest of the craze had been reached, and that buyers refused to take hold. On Monday, following the first visit of Eugene Garnier, he again came to town and wanted me to buy their wool at the price which I had quoted him on Friday, but by that time we had withdrawn from the market. My brother wired that San Francisco buyers would not touch it. Hence, the Garnier brothers also shipped their product east, and, after holding it practically a full year, finally sold it for sixteen and a half cents a pound in currency, which was then worth eighty-five cents on the dollar. The year 1872 is on record as the most disastrous wool season in our history, when millions were lost, and H. Newmark and Company suffered their share in the disaster. 
it was in march that we purchased from louis wolfskill through the instrumentality of l j rose the santa anita rancho consisting of something over eight thousand acres paying him eighty five thousand dollars for this beautiful domain the terms agreed upon were twenty thousand dollars down and four equal quarterly payments for the balance in the light of the aftermath the statement that our expectations of prospective wool profits inspired this purchase seems ludicrous but it was far from laughable at the time for it took less than sixty days for h newmark and company to discover that buying ranches on any such basis was not a very safe policy to follow and would if continued result in disaster indeed the outcome was so different from our calculations that it pinched us somewhat to meet our obligations to wolfskill this purchase as i shall soon show proved a lucky one and compensated for the earlier nervous and financial strain john simmons who drove h newmark and company's truck and slept in a barn in my backyard on main street was so reliable a man that we made him overseer of the ranch when we sold the property simmons was engaged by lazard ferrers the san francisco bankers to do special service that involved the carrying of large sums of money when we bought the santa anita there were five eucalyptus or blue gum trees growing near the house i understood at the time that these had been planted by william wolfskill from seed sent to him by a friend in australia and that they were the first eucalyptus trees cultivated in southern california some time early in eighteen seventy five the forest grove association started the first extensive tract of eucalyptus trees seen in los angeles and in a decade or two the eucalyptus had become a familiar object one tree belonging to howard and smith florists at the corner of olive and ninth streets attaining footnote blown down in a windstorm on the night of april thirteenth nineteen fifteen after a growth of nineteen years a height of one hundred and thirty-four feet on the morning of march twenty-sixth los angeles was visited by an earthquake of sufficient force to throw people out of bed many men women and children seeking safety by running out in their night clothes a day or two afterward excited writers came in from the owens river valley bringing reports which showed the quake to have been the worst so far as loss of life was concerned that had afflicted california since the memorable catastrophe of eighteen twelve intending thereby to encourage the building of railroads the legislature on april fourth eighteen seventy authorized the various boards of supervisors to grant aid whenever the qualified voters so elected this seemed a great step forward but anti-railroad sentiment as in the case of banning's line again manifested itself here the southern pacific just incorporated as a subsidiary of the central pacific was laying its tracks down the san joaquin valley yet there was grave doubt whether it would include los angeles or not it contemplated a line through tehichipi pass but from that point two separate surveys had been made one by way of soledad pass via los angeles through costly tunnels and over heavy grades the other straight to the needles over an almost level plain along the thirty-fifth parallel as anticipated by william h seward in his los angeles speech at the very time when every obstacle should have been removed the opposition so crystallized in the legislature that a successful effort was made to repeal the subsidy law but thanks to our representatives the measure was made ineffective in los angeles county should the voters specifically endorse the project of a railroad in april eighteen seventy two tom mott and b d wilson wrote leland stanford that a meeting of the taxpayers soon to be called would name a committee to confer with the railroad officials and stanford replied that he would send down e w hyde to speak for the company 
about the first of may however a few citizens gathered for consultation at the board of trade room and at that meeting it was decided unanimously to send to san francisco a committee of two consisting of governor downey and myself there to convey to the southern pacific company the overtures of the city we accordingly visited collis p huntington whose headquarters were at the grand hotel and during our interview we canvassed the entire situation in the course of this interesting discussion huntington displayed some engineers maps and showed us how in his judgment the railroad if constructed to los angeles at all would have to enter the city when the time for action arrived the southern pacific built into los angeles along the lines indicated in our interview with huntington on saturday afternoon may eighteenth eighteen seventy two a public meeting was held in the los angeles courthouse governor downey called the assembly to order whereupon h k s o mulvaney was elected president and major ben c truman secretary speeches were made by downey phineas banning b d wilson e j c kenwin and c h larrabee and resolutions were adopted pledging financial assistance from the county provided the road was constructed within a given time a committee was then appointed to seek general information concerning railroads likely to extend their lines to los angeles and on that committee i had the honor of serving with f p f temple a f coronel h k s o mulvaney j g downey s b caswell j m griffith henry dalton andres pico l j rose general george stoneman and d w alexander a few days later wilson rose and w r olden of anaheim were sent to san francisco to discuss terms with the southern pacific and when they returned they brought with them stanford's representative hyde temple omilvaney and i were made a special committee to confer with hyde in drawing up ordinances for the county and these statutes were immediately passed by the supervisors the southern pacific agreed to build fifty miles of its main trunk line through the county with a branch line to anaheim and the county among other conditions was to dispose of its stock in the los angeles and san pedro railroad to the southern pacific company when all this matter was presented to the people the opposition was even greater than in the campaign of eighteen sixty eight one newspaper the evening express while declaring that railway companies are soulless corporations invariably selfish with a love for money even maintained that because they are rich they have no more right to build to us than has governor downey to build our schoolhouses public addresses were made to excited demonstrative audiences by henry t hazard r m whitney and others who favored the southern pacific on the evening of november fourth or the night before the election the southern pacific adherents held a torchlight procession and a mass meeting at the same time illuminating the pueblo with the customary bonfires when the vote was finally counted it was found that the southern pacific had won by a big majority and thus was made the first concession to the railroad which has been of such paramount importance in the development of this section of the state in eighteen seventy two nathaniel c carter who boasted that he made for the government the first american flag woven by machinery purchased and settled upon a part of the flores rancho near san gabriel through wide advertising carter attracted his massachusetts friends to this section and in eighteen seventy four he started the carter excursions and brought trainloads of people to los angeles terminating a series of wanderings by sea and by land during which he had visited california in eighteen forty nine john lang father of gustav j once a police commissioner came to los angeles for permanent residence in eighteen seventy two bringing a neat little pile of gold with part of his savings he purchased the five acres since known as the laurel tract on sixteenth street 
where he planted an orchard, and some of the balance he put into a loan for which, against his will, he had to take over the lot on Spring Street between 2nd and 3rd, where the Lang building now stands. Soon after his advent here, Lang found himself one of four persons of the same name, which brought about such confusion between him, the pioneer at Lang's station, and two others, that the bank always labeled him Lang Number 1, while it called the stationmaster Lang Number 2. In 1866, Lang had married, in Victoria, Mrs. Rosine Everhart, a sister of Mrs. Kiln Messer, and his wife refusing to live at the Lonesome Ranch, Lang bought, for $400, the lot on Fort Street, on which Tally's Theater now stands, and built there a modest home from which he went out daily to visit his orchard. Being of an exceedingly studious turn of mind, Lang devoted his spare time to profitable reading, and to such an extent had he excluded himself that when he died, on December ninth, 1900, he had passed full thirty years here without having seen Santa Monica or Pasadena. Nor had he entered the courtroom more than once, and then only when compelled to go there to release some property seized upon for taxes, remaining unpaid by one of the other John Langs. Regarded by his family as idealistic and kind-hearted, John Lang was really such a hermit that only with difficulties were friends enough to found who could properly serve as pallbearers. On June 2nd, B.F. Ramirez and others launched the Spanish newspaper La Cronica, from the control of which Ramirez soon retired to make way for E.F. de Celis. Under the latter's leadership, the paper became notable as a coast organ for the Latin race. Almost simultaneously, A.J. King and A. Waite published their city directory. On the 17th of July, our family circle was gladdened by the wedding festivities of Caspar Cohn and Miss Holda, a sister of M.A. Newmark. The bride had been living with us for some time as a member of our family. I have spoken of the attempt made in 1859 to found a public library. In 1872, there was another agitation that led to a mass meeting on December 7th in the Old Merced Theater on Main Street, and among others present were Judge Ignacio Sepulveda, General George H. Stoneman, Governor John G. Downey, Henry Kirk White, Bent, S.B. Caswell, W.J. Broderick, Colonel G.H. Smith, W.B. Lawler, and myself. The Los Angeles Library Association was formed, and Downey, Bent, Broderick, Caswell, and I were appointed to canvas for funds and donations of books. Fifty dollars was charged for a life membership, and five dollars for yearly privileges, and besides these subscriptions, donations, and loans of books maintained the library. The institution was established in four small dark rooms of the old Downey block on Temple and Spring Streets, where the federal building now stands, and where the Times, then the youngest newspaper in Los Angeles, was later housed, and there J.C. Littlefield acted as the first librarian. In 1874, the state legislature passed an enabling act for a public library in Los Angeles, and from that time on, public funds contributed to the support of the worthy undertaking. On January 1, 1873, M.A. Newmark, who had come to Los Angeles eight years before, was admitted into partnership with H. Newmark and Company, and three years later, on February 27th, he married Miss Harriet, daughter of J.P. Newmark. Samuel Cohn having died, the associates then were Caspar Cohn, M.J. Newmark, M.A. Newmark, and myself. On February 1st, 1873, two job printers, Yarnell and K-Style, who had opened a little shop at 14 Commercial Street, began to issue a diminutive paper called The Weekly Mirror, with four pages but 10 by 13 inches in size and three columns to the page. And this miniature news sheet, falling wet from the press every Saturday, was distributed free. 
sources greeted the advertising adventure in the journal was known as the smallest newspaper on the coast a month later william m brown joined the firm thenceforth called yarnell k style and brown on march nineteenth the publishers added a column to each page announcing rather prophetically perhaps their intention of attaining greatness that should know no obstacle or limit in november the mirror was transferred to a building on temple street near the downy block erected for its special needs and there it continued to be published until in eighteen eighty seven it was housed with the times nels williamson to whom i have referred married a native californian and their oldest daughter mariana in 1873 became the wife of antonio franco coronel the gay couple settling in one of the old pueblo adobes on the present site of bishop and company's factory and there they were visited by helen hunt jackson when she came here in the early eighties in 1886 they moved opposite to the home that coronel built on the southwest corner of seventh street and central avenue educated here at the public and the sisters schools mrs cornell was a recognized leader in local society proving very serviceable in the preparation of ramona and receiving in return due acknowledgment from the distinguished authoress who presented her with the first copy of the book published daniel freeman a canadian who came in eighteen seventy three was one of the many to be attracted to california through nordhoff's famous book after looking at many ranches freeman inspected the sentinella with sir robert burnett the scotch owner then living there burnett insisted that the ranch was too dry for farming and cited his own necessity of buying hay at thirty dollars a ton but freeman purchased the twenty-five thousand acres stocked them with sheep and continued long in that business facing many a difficulty attendant upon the dry seasons notably in eighteen seventy five to seventy six when he lost fully twenty two thousand head l h titus who bought from j d woodworth the land in his san gabriel orchard and vineyard early used iron water pipes for irrigation a bold venture of the same year was the laying of iron water pipes throughout east los angeles at great expense by dr john s griffin and governor john g downey about the same time the directors of the orange grove association which as we shall later see founded pasadena used iron pipe for conducting water first to a good reservoir and then to their lands for irrigating in eighteen seventy three also the alhambra tract then beginning to be settled as a fashionable suburb of los angeles obtained its water supply through the efforts of b d wilson and his son-in-law j debarth shorb who constructed large reservoirs near the san gabriel mission piped water to alhambra and sold it to local customers james r toberman destined to be twice rechosen mayor of los angeles was first elected in eighteen seventy three defeating cristobal aguilar an honored citizen of early days who had thrice been mayor and was again a candidate toberman made a record for fiscal reform by reducing the city's indebtedness over thirty thousand dollars and leaving a balance of about twenty five thousand in the treasury while at the same time he caused the tax rate during his administration to dwindle from one dollar and sixty cents per hundred to one dollar toberman street bears this mayor's name in eighteen seventy three president grant appointed henry kirk white bent who had arrived in eighteen sixty eight postmaster of los angeles the several agitations for protection against fire had for a long time no tangible results due most probably to the lack of water facilities but after the incorporation of the los angeles water company and the introduction of two or three hydrants thirty-eight loyal citizens of the town in april organized themselves into the first volunteer fire company popularly termed the thirty-eights imposing a fee of a dollar a month some of the yeomen who thus set the ball a-rolling were major ben c truman tom rowan 
w j broderick jake kurtz charlie miles george tiffany aaron smith henry t hazard cameron e tom fred eaton matthew keller dr j s crawford sidney lacy john cashin and george p mclean and such was their devotion to the duty of both allaying and producing excitement that it was a treat to stand by the side of the dusty street and watch the boys bowling along answer the fire bell the fat as well as the lean hitched to their one-horse cart this cart pulled by men was known as the jumper a name widely used among early volunteer firemen and so applied because when the puffing and blowing enthusiast drew the cart after them by means of ropes the two-wheeled vehicle jumped from point to point along the uneven surface of the road the first engine of the thirty-eights known as fire engine number one was housed i think back of the pico house but was soon moved to a building on spring street near franklin and close to city hall about 1873 or possibly 1874 shrimps first appeared in the local market in 1873 the los angeles daily news suspended publication a j king had retired on the first of january 1870 to be succeeded by charles e bean on october 10 1872 alonzo waits had sold his interest and bean alone was at the helm when the ship foundered to resume the narrative of the daily star in july henry hamilton sold both the paper and the job printing office for six thousand dollars to major ben c truman and the latter conducted the star for three or four years filling it brimful of good things just as his more fiery predecessor had done john lang number two the cultivator of fruit on what was afterward washington gardens who established lang's station and managed the sulphur springs and the hotel there in july killed a bear said to have been one of the grisliest grizzlies ever seen on the coast lang started after mr bruin and during an encounter in the san fernando range that nearly cost his life finally shot him the bear tipped the beam forbid it that anyone should question the reading of the scales at two thousand three hundred and fifty pounds and later as gossip had it the pelt was sold to a museum in liverpool england this adventure which will doubtless bear investigation recalls another hunt by colonel william butts later editor of the southern californian in which the doughty colonel while rolling over and over with the infuriated beast plunged a sharp blade into the animal's vitals but only after butts face arm and legs had been horribly lacerated butts bear a hundred hunters in san luis obispo county might have told you weighed twenty one hundred pounds or more dismissing these bear stories some persons may yet be interested to learn of the presence here in earlier days of the ferocious wild boar these were met with for a long time in the wooded districts of certain mountainous land tracts owned by the avilas and their wild swine were hunted as late as eighteen seventy three in the summer d m barry general nathan kimball calvin fletcher and j h baker came to los angeles from indianapolis representing the california colony of indiana a cooperative association which proposed to secure land for hoosiers who wished to found a settlement in southern california the scheme originated with dr thomas bulch elliott of indianapolis barry's brother-in-law and an army surgeon who had established the first grain elevator in indiana and whose wife now ill could no longer brave the severe winters of the middle west soon after their arrival wall street's crash brought ruin to many subscribers and the members of the committee found themselves stranded in los angeles barry opened a real estate office on main street near arcadia for himself and the absent elliott and one day at the suggestion of judge b s eaton baker visited the san pasquale rancho then in almost primeval glory 
and was so pleased with what he saw that he persuaded Fletcher to join Dr. Elliot, Thomas H. Croft of Indianapolis, and himself in incorporating the San Gabriel Orange Grove Association with 100 shares at $250 each. The association then bought out Dr. J. S. Griffin's interest, or some 4,000 acres in the ranch, paying about $12 and a half per acre after which some fifteen hundred of the choicest acres were subdivided into tracts of from fifteen to sixty acres each the san pasqual settlement was thus called for a while the indiana colony though but a handful of hoosiers had actually joined the movement the doctor and mrs elliot reaching los angeles on december first eighteen seventy four immediately took possession of their grant on the banks of the arroyo seco near the fremont trail on april twenty second eighteen seventy five the indiana colony was discontinued as the name of the settlement it being seen that a more attractive title should be selected dr elliot wrote to a college mate in the east for an appropriate indian name and pasadena was adopted as chippewa for crown of the valley linguists i am informed do not endorse the word as indian of any kind but it is a musical name and now famous and satisfactory Dr. Elliot threw all his energy into the cultivation of oranges, but it was not long before he saw, with a certain prophetic vision, that not the fruit itself, but the health-giving and charming qualities of the San Pasqual climate were likely to prove the real asset of the colonists and the foundation of their prosperity. Pasadena and South Pasadena, therefore, owe their existence largely to the longing of a frail Indiana woman for a less rigorous climate and her dream that in the sunny Southland along the Pacific she should find health and happiness. M. J. Newmark was really instrumental, more than anyone else, in first persuading D. M. Barry to come to California. He had met Barry in New York and talked to him of the possibility of buying the Santa Anita Rancho, which we were then holding for sale and on his return he traveled homeward by way of indiana stopping off at indianapolis in order to bring barry out here to see the property owing to the high price asked however barry and his associates could not negotiate the purchase and so the matter was dropped lawson d hollingsworth and his wife lucinda quakers from indiana opened the first grocery at the crossroads in the new settlement and for many years were popularly spoken of as grandpa and grandma hollingsworth Dr. H. T. Hollingsworth, their son, now of Los Angeles, kept the post office in the grocery, receiving from the government for his services the munificent sum of 25 cents a week. The summer of 1873 was marked by the organization of a corporation designed to advance the general business interests of Los Angeles and vicinity. This was the Chamber of Commerce, or, as it was at first called, the Board of Trade and had its origin in a meeting held on august first in the old courthouse on the site of the present bullard block ex-governor john g downey was called to the chair and j m griffith was made secretary pro tem before the next meeting over one hundred representative merchants registered for membership and on august ninth a constitution and by-laws were adopted a board of eleven directors elected and an admission fee of five dollars agreed upon two days later the organization was incorporated with j g downey s lazard m j newmark h w hellman p Beaudry, s b caswell dr j s griffin r m whitney c c lips j m griffith and i w lord as directors and these officers chose solomon lazard as the first president and i w lord as the first secretary judge whitney's office in the temple block was the meeting place 
the chamber unitedly and enthusiastically set to work to push forward the commercial interests of southern california and the first appropriation by congress for the survey and improvement of san pedro harbor was effected mainly through the new society's efforts descriptive pamphlets setting forth the advantages of our locality were distributed throughout the east and steps were taken to build up the trade with arizona and the surrounding territory in this way the chamber of commerce labored through two or three succeeding years until bank failures droughts and other disasters of which i shall speak threw the cold blanket of discouragement over even so commendable an enterprise and for the time being its activities ceased on october third c a stork founded the daily and weekly herald editing the paper until august eighteen seventy four when j m bassett became its editor in a few months he retired and john m baldwin took up the quill in the autumn of eighteen seventy three barnard brothers set in operation the first woolen mill here built in eighteen sixty eight or eighteen sixty nine by george hansen and his associates in the canal and reservoir company it was located on the ditch along the canyon of the arroyo de los reyes now figueroa street and for fifteen years or more was operated by the barnards and the coulters after which it was turned into an ice factory in march of the preceding year i sent my son maurice to new york expecting him there to finish his education it was thought best however to allow him in eighteen seventy three to proceed across the ocean and on to paris where he might also learn the french language at that time an especially valuable acquisition in los angeles to this latter decision i was led when zadok khan grand rabbi of paris and afterward grand rabbi of france and brother-in-law of eugene meyer signified his willingness to take charge of the lad and for three years the grand rabbi and his excellent wife well fulfilled their every obligation as temporary guardians how great an advantage indeed this was will be readily recognized by all familiar with the published life of zadok khan and his reputation as a scholar and pulpit orator he was a man of the highest ideals as was proved in his unflinching activity with emile zola in the defense and liberation of the long persecuted dreyfus sometime in december elsie tibbets one of the early colonists at riverside received a small package from a friend at washington d c after having driven sixty-five miles to los angeles to get it and he took it out of the little express office without attracting any more attention than to call forth the observation of the clerk that someone must care a lot about farming to make so small fuss about two young trees tis nothing says the fool the package in question contained two small orange trees from bahia brazil brought to the united states by the agricultural department and destined to bestow upon tibbets the honor of having originated the naval orange industry of california in eighteen seventy three drum barracks at wilmington were offered by the government at public auction and what had cost a million dollars or so to install was knocked down for less than ten thousand dollars to b d wilson who donated it for educational purposes during the winter of eighteen seventy three to seventy four the southern pacific commenced the construction of its anaheim branch and the first train from los angeles to the thriving expectant german settlement made the run in january eighteen seventy five max cohn a nephew arrived in los angeles in eighteen seventy three and clerked for h newmark and company for a number of years in december eighteen eighty five when i retired from the wholesale grocery business max became a full partner in eighteen eighty eight failing health compelled him although a young man to seek european medical advice and he entered a sanatorium at falkenstein in the taunus mountains where in eighteen eighty nine he died End of chapter thirty